All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of First John. You can turn to the book of First John. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the next few weeks. I, like I mentioned at the first, I love fall, so I just kind of get, I just am a perkier person, I guess, when it's cold and dreary and boring outside. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for this season of our church because we've got a couple really exciting outreach things that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. And then we roll into November and we do Operation Christmas Child and we roll into December and we've got our Christmas emphasis and program that we do. I just love this season at the church. I, I just It's just one of my favorite times. And as we look forward to a few weeks from now when we have um, Bring a Friend to Church Day, I want us to kind of get prepared for that and get a, a heart for that um, so that we can be excited for that and we can see a lot of people come and join our fellowship and, and be part of what's going on here and what God is doing here. If you have your Bible and you're at First John, we're going to look at the, the first few verses of this, of this, uh, of this book. And be honest with you, sometimes you have a great time, you're preparing a sermon, and, and it's just kind of something that comes from, from the, your, your own mind, right? You, you read the Word and you bring it. Other times you hear somebody give a good lesson on a verse, and you're like, I really want to, I want to preach that passage. I want to, I want to talk about that passage too, because they did such a good job. Uh, Jake has been teaching our Wednesday night program and he's going through our uh, book of first John and he did a great lesson on first John one through four. So Jake, I'm stealing from you a little bit this morning, uh, taking some of that and, and using it because I think it has a good word for us this morning. If you wanted to establish that something happened Or, if you wanted to get to know a specific person, uh, you would ask somebody about that event or about that person, right? If you wanted to get to know Whitney, who's the best person in this church to ask about Whitney? Me, right? Um, I've been with her for over half of my life, half of our life we've been together. Uh, Some of you folks who've been together for twice my lifetime are looking at that and saying, ah, nothing, that's nothing. But uh, for us, we've been together uh, most of our like growing up years from the time we were mid teenagers to now we've, we've grown up. We've we've grown together. I know things about her. I know what her, her routines are. I know where she's going to be at certain times. I know the things that she loves. I know the things that she hates. I do the things that she hates sometimes, not because I am trying not to, but because sometimes I want to pester her. Right. I know Whitney. So if you want to get to know Whitney, I'm the best person to ask. If you wanted to know about an event that happened, you would ask somebody that was actually there at that event. You'd say, what happened? What was the feel? What was the vibe? What was going on there? Because they would be an eyewitness to that. Well, today we're going to talk with, we're going to hear from an eyewitness to Jesus. The, the John that wrote 1 John was also the John that wrote Big John is what I call it, the Gospel of John. Um, this is the same guy that spent time, hung out with Jesus was even called Jesus as the one whom Jesus loved. We're going to sit down, we're going to talk with that guy. We're going to have a conversation with that guy today so that we can see what he has to say about witnessing for the, the word of life. And then we're going to talk about how we can apply that to our upcoming uh, event on Bring, Bring, Bring a Friend to Church Day. So let's read First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this is one big old run-on sentence, which doesn't sound good to our English ears, but we're going to break it down so we can understand it, all right? 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life, 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which was, we have seen and have heard, we proclaim to you, so that you, may too, you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to uh, writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day and this morning. God, we want to thank you for this word that you've given to us. God, we thank you um, that you provide us in your word eyewitnesses to, to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that John wrote this letter guided by your Holy Spirit and it's delivered to us perfectly to us so that we might read it and understand it. God, we pray that you would use these few verses to um, spark in us a desire to talk about what we've seen, to share what we've been given. And God, we just pray that you'd be, um, you'd be the guiding force in, in what we're about to do as we, uh, as we open your word and try to understand it. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in this passage, we see John testifying to the word of life, the word of life from a witness. And the first thing we see in this is a witness to the word of life. We see a witness to the word of life. John was an eyewitness to Jesus. He wants you to know that clearly because he says it. He says, I've seen Jesus. I've heard him. L listen to all the senses that are, that are uh, put in here. That which we have heard, we've seen with our own eyes, we've looked upon him, we've touched him with our hands. He didn't include it, but I'm sure he could say, man, I know what Jesus smells like. Like, you know, how people have a smell. You hug him. You're like, man, that just smells like Papa, right? You, like your grandpa has a smell or something included in this. Paul or John is saying, I know Jesus. I'm familiar with him. I've seen him with my eyes. I've touched him with my hands. I've heard his voice. Some of you can maybe think back to some of the people in your life who have who have, have left us, have, have gone to be with the Lord, but man, you can still hear their voice. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes there's some songs that we sing, um, and I can still hear Phil Crosby's voice from right over there. He'd always sit over there, and I could just see, because he would sing it a little bit different than everybody else. Like he would hit the harmony note that none of us were hitting, and you can just hear his voice, right? Sometimes the people that have gone away from us, we can still hear them. Right? It's almost as if they're with us at certain times. John's kind of bringing that to life right here. He's saying, man, I was with Jesus. I hung out with him. We had, uh, we, we had cookouts. We, we, we spent time together. We hung out together. I have seen this Jesus. But he doesn't actually call Jesus Jesus in this passage, right? He calls Jesus first the word of life. He says the word, he calls Jesus the word of life. When we break down that phrase. We, when we think of the word, that's something that, that John used a lot, right? He says in the beginning of his book, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That concept of the word is this idea of, of, of a teaching, of instruction, of information, of the basis and source of knowledge. And John calls this guy the word of life. When we think of life, we think of that which gives movement to being. That which gives consciousness and agency, that which gives thought and meaning, birth and existence. John calls Jesus the word of life. This, this instructor, this, this bringer of life, the creator, the author of life itself. That's what he calls Jesus. And he says this, this big, grand force that's creative and instructive. It wasn't just some impersonal force. 
right? He says this, this word of life was made manifest to us. This life-giving entity wasn't an impersonal force. This entity is described as a person. It's a who, not a what. Jesus is a who, and he made himself known to humanity. He chose to reveal himself. Had Jesus not chosen to step into creation and become like us, uh, we would not have any knowledge of what he was like. Jesus was the ultimate revelation of who God is. We had hints of it in the, New, in the Old Testament, but we have that truly revealed to us in Christ now that we have the New Testament pointing to who he is. He's also described in this passage as the eternal life. He's the word of life, the eternal life. And John is saying, we testify and proclaim. John's saying he's an eyewitness to this. He's testifying, he's proclaiming. John's making the point that he wants to tell people about this word that he had witnessed. He wants to tell people about what he'd seen. He wants to, people to hear about what he heard. He wants people to experience what he touched. John had a personal experience with the word of life, and then he was compelled to tell other people about it. We should find ourselves in the same boat as John. We should be wearing the same shoes as John. We have had this experience with the word of life. Now, we, didn't, we weren't eyewitnesses to him, but... Peter, in a few books before this, he talks about how you haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. It's possible for those who haven't seen Jesus to love Jesus. Peter even tells us, he's talking about the time when he got to see Jesus transfixed on the mountain. Uh, remember when Jesus was, was transfigured and he was in his glorified state and the voice from heaven said, this is my son uh, with whom I'm well pleased. Peter says, that was an awesome experience that I saw, but... We also have the word of God, which is even more fully confirmed to us. That's what Peter says about, man, I saw this amazing transfiguration of Jesus, and that was awesome. But we also have the prophetic word, which is, is a more sure way of knowing God. So we have in our hands this revelation of who God is, and we can have that relationship with him. We've experienced the word of life, so we should be compelled to tell others about the word of life as well. John goes on to say why he's saying this, right? He was a witness to the word of life, but he said these things so that we might have, number two, fellowship with the word of life, that we might have fellowship with the word of life. The idea of fellowship is having something in common, having a, a, a common affinity or interest or desire and also a common goal. One of the ways that you can see a fellowship really easily is attend a football game on a Friday night. Um, you get to see... In some sense, two fellowships there, right? You see the band or the, the football team out on the field. They're wearing the same color. They've been to the same practices. They have the same coach leading them. They have the same goal in winning the game. They're a fellowship. They're tied together, going in a certain direction. You can also see that in the band as well, right? It's a, this group of people that have this, have the, although they have different instruments, um, they're connected by this idea of music. They're trying to play one piece of music um, so that people can hear it. That's an idea of a fellowship. It's, it's a people who have something in common, striving for a goal. And John says, we write these things to you. We testify. We proclaim this to you so that you might have fellowship, so that you might have commonality, that you might have communion. That's why we, we use the phrase uh, uh, communion, right? Because it's talking about sharing in what Christ has done for us. So when we think of fellowship... John says we have fellowship on two levels. First, we have fellowship with him. He says, I write these things so that you might have fellowship with us. John is inviting us into his club. 
the eyewitness club. He's saying, we've seen Jesus and we want you to experience the same thing that we've had. We want you to have this fellowship, this commonality with us. We need to have the same attitude towards sin as, as the rest of Christians do, right? We need to be hating our sin and trying to turn from it. We need to have the same attitude toward Jesus, a trust and a desire uh, to follow him. We have those things in common. And isn't this, doesn't it make you feel welcome that John is saying, hey, join us. We want you to have the same fellowship with us. Get in the boat with us. Take a ride with us. We're going to the same place. It's welcoming and it's personal for him to invite us into that. And he's likely writing to people who were of a different ethnicity as him. A lot of these apostles that were writing um, in the New Testament were Jewish guys, and they're writing to people who are not Jewish. Um, And in that part of the world at that time, those lines between ethnicities were drawn very uh, starkly. But John's crossing those lines and saying, hey, you, you, you um, Gentiles who weren't, didn't get to see Jesus, you get to fellowship with us. We're one people. You can be one people. That's why we read that verse today talking about the fact that the two groups, Gentiles and Jews, have now been reconciled in Christ. And John's probably writing to Gentiles saying, man, we want you guys to be on our team. I'm telling you about Jesus because we want you to be part of us. We get to have a fellowship with these apostles who saw Jesus. But he also says in verse 3 that we not only have fellowship with him, but we uh, we can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. You get to have fellowship with God. Because by nature, we have nothing in common with God. By our sinful nature, we're about as opposite from God as we could possibly be. We are the antithesis of the divine. We are as opposite as we can be. But... Even though by nature we have nothing in common with God, by grace we can have all things in common with God. In Christ, we can have all things. That's what the Bible talks about, us having all things in common with Christ. Like in Ephesians, where we've been seated with Him and been given the same blessings as Him. We have all things in common with Christ. Just like Jesus had victory over sin and death, you can have victory over sin and death. You can share in eternal life. And you can have these divine characteristics like love, grace, and mercy in your life going out towards other people. You can have those things. You can share in his goal of working towards seeing people become more like Jesus. Do you know people in your life who don't have fellowship with the Lord? Are there people in your life that you know do not have a relationship with God? Do you know somebody who's struggling in their life? Somebody who's having a hard time being happy? Someone who's having a hard time being, uh, finding meaning and purpose? I want you to think about how that makes you feel that that person's in your life. Do you have a burden to reach them? Do you look at them and say, man, I, I have something that can, give, uh, that can be the, the, the healing to your pain and, and the medicine for your wounds? Because John's attitude, when he sees people out of fellowship with God, it's his joy to bring them into fellowship with God. Which brings us to number three. John was a witness to the word of life. We have fellowship with the word of life. And number three, we can have joy in the word of life. He says in that last phrase, in that last passage, or sorry, last verse, uh, we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. <clears throat> joy. Joy is that, that idea, that everlasting... Sorry. <clears throat> joy is that, 
Joy is that idea of this everlasting feeling that doesn't go away. Kind of like the, the leaves on an evergreen tree. No matter what the season is, it's still green and still alive, right? It could be hot, cold, rainy, um, dry. It still stays evergreen. And that's the idea of joy in our life. And when we think of joy, he says this phrase, so that our joy may be complete, both his joy and the joy of the people that he's speaking to, that their joy may be complete. So you get the joy of the hearer in this. The person that gets to hear Jesus, hear about Jesus, gets the greatest gift that they could ever be given. They get joy, something that cannot be robbed from them, something that cannot be stolen, cannot be lost. They receive joy. Joy is something that can be found in the brightest times and in the darkest times of our life. And when they receive joy from Christ, they get those things. And Christ can be their joy because they get forgiveness from their sins. When you find your joy in Christ, when Christ, is forgive, or when Christ forgives you of your sins, you find joy. When you put your faith in Jesus, not only do you get forgiveness of your sins, you get meaning and purpose in your life. You get his continual presence with you. They get guidance and help in their relationships in life, in their marriages, their parenthood, their family, and their friends. They get the wisdom from Christ to keep them from blowing all of their money on silly stuff. They get the self-control from Christ that can keep them from hurting the people in their life and can keep them from becoming addicted to the vices of life. They get the ability to forgive other people in their life and let go of the bitterness that eats our souls. When people get Christ, they get all of this and more. And you get to be the person that can give that to them. As you testify, just like John does, we testify and we proclaim these things to you so that you may have joy, or sorry, you may have fellowship that, that results in joy. And how can that not get you pumped up to be able to do that for somebody else? How can that not make you excited to tell people about that joy that can come from Jesus? Do you find joy in telling people about Jesus? We've got the joy of the hearer, but also the joy of the teller, right? Do you find joy in telling people about Jesus? If you don't, then you need to kind of have some self-reflection and think, do I think what I'm giving to people is actually good? Because if you're not telling people about Jesus, then there might be a hint that there's a doubt that you think Jesus is good enough to give them. This is what I mean by that. Here's an example. I used to work at a jewelry store in Louisville when I was in seminary. Um, it was, I actually loved working there. I enjoyed uh, hanging out with my buddies. Um, we would fix watches. I got to learn more about watches than I ever thought I would know. Um, but we also would sell jewelry, a lot of secondhand jewelry. And I couldn't care less about jewelry. Like, it means nothing. It's like, I wear a wedding ring because it means I'm married to Whitney. But if, if I wasn't married, I wouldn't wear a ring. It's just metal and rocks to me, right? Um, so when I would sell those pieces of jewelry, those secondhand pieces of jewelry, there were times where I just, my heart wasn't in it. Like, I didn't care if you had this gold necklace. I didn't care if you had this ring. Like, if, if a guy was getting married, buying a ring for, that, that's exciting. But I can remember a time when a guy came in, and he was looking at some jewelry, he was wanting to buy it, and we would do, like, these micro loans, right, through Synchrony, and, and so you could get a loan for 100 bucks or 200 bucks. And I, I had a guy that was taking out a loan for 200 bucks. I'm like, brother, if you don't have 200 bucks to spend, you probably don't need to buy this. I didn't say that to him, but that was my attitude, like, you don't need to be doing this. I did not have a passion to see people purchase jewelry from me. And because of that, I was a really bad salesman. Everybody else always got more commission than me. 
Like it was, it was just, I just didn't care that you had that ring. So I didn't push for it. I didn't strive for it. I didn't think that that ring was going to add a lot of value to your life. Is that the attitude that we can sometimes have with Jesus? Where it's like, I, I'm not really pushed, compelled to tell people about Jesus. And does that reveal in us an attitude that we have toward Jesus? Thinking like, eh, Jesus, can, you can take him or leave him. He's not going to really be that big of an influence in your life. That's what, our, that's what our actions say when we don't tell folks about Jesus. We say, what I have in Jesus is not worth sharing with you. And if you had it in your life, it wouldn't make that big of a difference. Please, God, do not let that be our attitude as a church. Let us be people who are handing out Jesus all the time, really trying to compel people to trust in him because what can be found in him can't be found anywhere else. There's nothing more rewarding in your life than telling somebody about Jesus. It's one of the joys of my life. It's one of the things that it's why I do what I do. I love to see the light come on for people when when I'm teaching a lesson or when they're reading God's word. I love to see them be like, aha, like I get it. I understand that. I love to see them hear about Jesus and then I love to see them take steps in faith and grow in him. I love to hear them um, grow in their knowledge of Jesus. I love to hear them say, hey, I was reading the Bible last night and yada, yada, yada. Like just to hear of you all engaging with God's word, that makes me pumped. There's nothing more my li- that I love more in my life than hearing about people come to know Jesus and telling people about him. And a life that's spent telling people about Jesus is a life that's not wasted. It's a life that's full of joy and is well spent. So as we think about in a few weeks, this bring your friend to church day, Let's take this idea um, that we are his witnesses, that we're witnesses with him, and that we can bring people into fellowship with God and have joy in that. Let's have that be our attitude as we go into Bring a Friend to Church Day, that we might say, hey, this is is a a way to make it easier for me to be a witness. All I got to do is just invite somebody to lunch, right? That's going to be, hopefully that's going to be a little bit easier for you. But as you think about that, I want to give you um, a few practical steps. One, two, three, four, five. Five practical steps um, that you can take in the next two weeks as we lead up to Bring a Friend to Church Day, okay? Number one is this, identify your friend. Pick a friend. Find that friend, someone uh, that God has put into your life. Don't go invite a random stranger from Walmart that you've never seen one time in your life. There's a place for street witnessing, but this event's not for it. Find somebody in your life that God has put in your circle, your sphere of influence, That might be somebody that you work with, that's in your family, that you go to school with, um, somebody who uh, is just in your circle. Maybe somebody that God has given you favor with, like you've met this person, you you have this relationship that is really jovial and nice. Maybe God has given you favor with them. Maybe think of somebody who's in your life that's hurting and that needs to hear about Jesus. Think of somebody who you know that um, maybe used to be a faithful member to a church and has fallen away and has not been in fellowship with God in that way. Invite those kinds of people. Identify the person in your life that God would have you invite. Second, pray for your friend. So first is identify your friend. Second is pray for your friend. And I want you to do this. I want you to pick a specific time to pray for that person. Maybe um, you set an alarm every day. 
um, at a certain time, maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to pray for my friend at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you set an alarm that says pray. You can set that on your phone. Maybe um, you can stack this prayer time on top of another prayer time. So pick an existing habit that you have, something that you do every single day. Maybe if, you're, maybe if you take medicine on, in the morning at a specific time, put a little note by your medicine, uh, medicine thing that says, pray for Bob. And every day when you do that one habit that you have, you'll be reminded to pray for Bob. Maybe um, you walk through the same door at work every day. Maybe you can put a little um, a sticky note on your, on your door that says, pray. Uh, maybe you get in your car and drive your kids to school every day, and that's the thing that you do every day. That can remind you, okay, this is my time to pray for my friend. And pray that that person would, would one, be receptive to your invitation, and that, two, uh, when they do come that morning, they would hear God's word, that God's word would soak down into their heart. So, one is identify your friend. Two, pray for your friend. Three, invite your friend. That's, that's just it. That's number three. Just invite them. Say, hey, come to lunch with me. Come to church with me um, and invite them. But after you've invited them, there's two more steps. You might think that's it. Number four is this plan with your friend. What I mean by that is say, hey, tell, prepare them for the service and talk to them about what that, what that will look like. You say, hey, um, when you get here, maybe get here around this time. I'll meet you even. I'll meet you at the door. For some people, it, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with like walking into a building like this with like by themselves. Even though they know you're going to be in this room, they might still feel uncomfortable opening that door by themselves and walking in and, and having to say hi to the greeters. Like that might make them anxious and feel uncomfortable. So you can plan with them to say, hey, um, let's show up at the same time. Let's show up at, you know, 945 at the same time and, and, and walk in together. That can be another way that can make them feel comfortable with coming in. Um, talk to them about what the service will look like. Let them know how they should dress, right? Let them know sometimes the preacher is so informally preaches in just a polo. Like, we don't have to wear a tuxedo and a formal dress here. It's not like uh, a formal event. Just say, come as you are. Wear jeans and a t-shirt, shorts, whatever. Come, just come on. Prepare them for the service. And then finally, number five, sit with them in the service. Don't abandon them, Okay. Don't invite them, let them come in and just and then not sit with them. Um, be with them, sit with them, hang out with them, um, and let them know that, hey, you're coming to church with me. Sit with them in the service, sit with them at lunch, walk in with them through the door, um, walk, in, walk out with them, uh, whatever that might look like. Spend time with them when they are here. Because that small little invite that you, that you do could change a person's life. It really could change a person's life. I was just happened to be friends with a guy named Chad who came to this church when he was a kid, and he just invited me to come to church with him. That's what kids often do, right? That's how our student ministry grows most of the time, just from a kid saying, hey, come to church. They give us chips and stuff, and they're like, all right, I'll go. I just came to church here um, because Chad invited me, and that one little invite, there was a, God put a hook in me that day, that, at, at that time, that just stuck. And, and for some reason, a lot of guys can remember, for some reason, I'd only come to Sunday school. That was like my thing. I'd come to Sunday school and leave before the service. Um, so my attendant, me, me getting invited and coming didn't look like maybe how everybody would want that to look like. But I came and I kept coming and the God kept working on me over time. Um, and I be, eventually God saved me through this church's ministry, um, through Vacation Bible School. God grew me through this church's discipleship. God called me to pastor you guys. Like that one small little invite 
really changed my life. And it came at a time in my life when it was really, really important. Uh, when my family was falling apart, when it was kind of dissolving, and I was starting to have just, just uh, I would have started to have identity crisis in my life. Had God not sent Chad to just say, hey, come to church with me. That one phrase, hey, come to church with me, come to lunch with me. That event over the next few weeks could change the course of somebody's life uh, that's in your circle.